the biggest stories from the pages of the London Free Press and LFPress.com. This is the London Free Press Podcast with your host, Lindsay Barnett. Welcome back to the London Free Press Podcast, another busy week in the city of London. I'm joined today with an update from London Free Press crime reporter Dale Carruthers. Dale, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing today, Lindsay? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for your time today. I'm excited to chat with you because I want to take everybody back to October of last year. And a lot of people will remember kind of a bizarre shooting of a Sarnia man downtown London. We've now got a bit of an update after a nine-month investigation. Before we get to that, Dale, take us back to what happened late October of last year. Sure. So it was October 28th. It was around 3.45 a.m. London police said they responded to a reported break-in at John and Mill Streets involving three male suspects with a ladder. Um, They arrived at the scene. There was an interaction with a man about two blocks away in an alley off of Richmond Row, and the man was fatally shot. That's what the Special Investigations Unit told us at the time, and they're the uh, civilian agency that oversees uh, fatal police shootings and any police shooting for that matter in the province. So once someone's shot by a police officer, they take over and they're responsible for communication. So that's essentially all we were told at the time. Um, I was at the scene Uh, a couple hours after the shooting. And I met a man who said he was the one stealing the street sign. He said he wanted to steal it because it was Mill Street, named like the beer. Met two guys he had never uh, known before. He said they were just drinking in the area. They helped him set up the ladder and he was about to take the sign. He had some power tools. When they saw um, flashing police lights and ran away. Um, I spoke with a homeowner nearby and she showed me surveillance camera of the men running away and a police officer pursuing them. So um, that was nine months ago. And so we're kind of waiting to get some more answers from this SIU report. And that was just released Monday. And it did provide some more details into what happened that night. The circumstances were a little bizarre when we first heard about this shooting. And as you just said, this report has provided way more insight. Now, we knew a couple days after or a day after the shooting that it was a Sarnia tennis pro who had been shot to death. What have we learned from this new report that just came out on Monday? Um, So the most significant uh, information in the report, uh, I think, would be that um, Justin Barassa, who was the shooting victim, a man from Sarnia who worked as a tennis pro and a registered massage therapist, was downtown at the time. It didn't say why he was downtown. He wasn't connected to the break and enter in any way. And police mistakenly thought he was one of the three men involved. And they saw him in this alley near uh, South Richmond Row. And two police officers tried to arrest him and handcuff him. And that's when there was a struggle. And the SIU report said Barassa began choking one of the police officers. He had him in a rear naked chokehold for between 45 and 60 seconds. And the other officer fired a single shot in his neck at point blank range. Um, Essentially, Brass's neck wound had soot on it, indicating that the gun was touching his clothing where the shot was fired. There was no indication that non-lethal force had been used before. That means pepper spray, um, uh, taser, uh, baton. Um, But the SIU director said he couldn't say that for sure 
because the officer who shot Barasa didn't consent to an interview with the SIU and he didn't provide a copy of his notes. That's his legal right, of course. But in the end, the SIU cleared him of any wrongdoing in the shooting and said it wasn't a criminal act. Now, this officer has remained on active duty. And as you just mentioned, it is his legal right not to do an interview or hand over his notes. Is this common in your experience with stuff like this? You've been reporting on crimes for a long time now. Um, is this is this normal practice, so to speak? It's not uncommon for um, police officers to not uh, provide their notes or consent in an interview with the SIU when these things happen. Um, they do it for legal reasons. Uh, sometimes they're advised by their lawyer or the union not to do that. Um, and that, so it's, it's really not uncommon and it doesn't imply guilt because someone doesn't cooperate with the SIU investigation because these SIU investigations are triggered anytime someone's seriously injured, um, a police fire their weapon, um, there's an allegation of sexual assault. So sometimes just the announcement that the SIU is investigating, the public assumes a police officer is guilty because the watchdog's investigating. So I think that plays a role in it too. Um, some police unions have called for reform of the SIU investigation system. Um, there's other concerns about their investigations take too long. This one was completed in nine months. So that was a decent turnaround for such a significant investigation, I would say. Now, we know that Justin Barassa didn't have any drugs or alcohol in his system at the time of his death, and his parents are now speaking out. They want more answers. There's surveillance video, I believe, from a nearby business of him and police entering the alley, and then that's it. Uh, his parents, I believe, have said that they're surprised that London police weren't wearing body cams or there was no camera on uh, the car dash. What's the next step now that this inquiry has been closed, essentially? Well, I spoke to um, Justin Brass's parents yesterday. Um, it was the first time they'd spoken to the media about the incident since it happened. They have retained legal counsel. So they were careful in what they said. They essentially read from a prepared statement. And they questioned why the officer didn't try using non-lethal force before shooting their son. Um, they said they learned that London police don't have body cameras or dash cam cameras. Uh, I obviously knew that. I'm the police reporter, but members of the public may not know that. And they said that there's a lot of unanswered questions still, and they hope that uh, more answers are provided at an uh, inquest. Um, coroner's inquests are automatic when someone dies in custody from non-natural causes. So that will happen, but it likely won't happen for several years. It could be up to five years. I was just looking back and uh, the last police involved shooting that resulted in death was Samuel Maloney. And I believe that was in 2016. And an inquest still hasn't even been scheduled for that death. So that's six years later. So, I mean, they're looking at uh, quite a long time before that happens. But London police are also conducting an internal investigation of this shooting. And they will present their findings to the police services board. And the police services board will decide whether or not to make that public. Um, they did the same thing with the Samuel Maloney shooting. The police board made the report public. But it was just a four-page report. It was nowhere near as detailed as the SIU report. So I wouldn't expect this one to be any different. So the coroner's inquest um, is really what the parents are waiting for now because those last for days um, and a jury will ultimately make recommendations. They won't assign uh, any blame, but they'll make recommendations and go through the evidence and the circumstances really thoroughly in a, in a public manner. So depending on what the jury comes back with, what kind of results could we be looking at? Because as you just said, they won't assign any blame. So what are some potential outcomes following that? 
Uh, one thing they could look at uh, is the police decision to arrest Barasa. Um, he didn't have weapons. He may have fit the description of the suspect, but uh, SIU Director Joseph Martino questioned the legality of the decision to handcuff him rather than briefly detain him. And he said he doesn't know if police were allowed to search him based on the evidence they had at that point. So I think that'll be one of the big issues. Um, they'll definitely be looking at whether non-lethal force was used um, because the SAU director said he doesn't think it was used, but he can't be sure. Um, so there could be uh, recommendations related to those topics, I think would be the main things. Um, yeah, the, the, that would probably be the focus of it. Now, I know you spoke to his parents yesterday, and as you mentioned before, they've retained legal counsel. Still no idea as to why Barassa was in London the day of the shooting. Is that right? That's correct. Um, like I said, they, they pretty much read a prepared statement to me and didn't really veer from that. So we still don't know why he was in London uh, downtown at 345. Um, he lived in Sarnia. Um, previously, his mother said in a brief exchange with a Sarnia Observer report that he liked to go for long bike rides. Um, but that really doesn't answer what he was doing down there. Um, so we still don't know that. And not that that really makes a difference in the outcome of what happened here, but it is an important detail that I'd like to know and that the public would like to know as well. So perhaps that will come out at the um, inquest. And going back to your previous question, Lindsay, I realized I didn't really touch on the surveillance cameras. So the SIU drew extensively on surveillance uh, cameras from nearby businesses to kind of create this timeline of Barassa's final moments, his movements, as well as police movements. And they showed him entering this alley. They showed police arriving um, at various points, but there was no surveillance footage of the fatal encounter. Um, one camera captured police grabbing onto him, but then they went out of frame and you could see a foot and that was about it. So the only corrobor corroboration of uh, the police officer's account that he was being choked by Barasa was his partner who witnessed it. And apparently he had said to some other responding officers and that was uh, relayed to the SIU too. But there is no video, video footage verifying that account. I also think it might be worth noting Barasa had some interactions with police earlier in the year. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, Dale, he had five charges pending, is that right? Unrelated yes, to this incident? Yeah, there were some charges uh, from Sarnia related to an incident, I believe it was in February, um, obstructing justice, assaulting police, and they were ultimately withdrawn after he died. So we really don't know the details exactly about what happened there. Um, his family says uh, the charges were never proven in court and they were not happy that we reported on them, but it is something relevant to include because um, it does show that he did have a previous run-in with police and there were allegations that he assaulted police officers. So it is an important detail to include in this reporting, I feel. But it's important to know that we don't know whether um, these charges were uh, proven in court because they are withdrawn and we don't know any more details beyond that. I think if nothing else, this has raised a lot of eyebrows and raised a lot of questions. It's such a bizarre incident. Um, I guess we're just going to have to kind of wait and see what else we learn from London police at this point um, from their report and go from there. Yeah, the London police report, I would suspect that would come out within this year and then the inquest will be um, the bigger one. But again, by the time these inquests happen, several years have passed and a lot of time 
um, people kind of lose interest and they stop asking the questions. So that's just kind of the way the system works at this point. So um, the SIU report, I should note, is really detailed. The SIU has done a great job improving their transparency. They released this detailed report as photos, it has diagrams, and it's actually available to the public. Obviously, I can only include so many details in my stories, um, but if the public wants to see the full report, they can go to SIU's website and it's available there. That's wonderful. Thank you, Dale. And for anybody listening right now, if you haven't read Dale's story, you can do so in the pages of the London Free Press and of course over at lfpress.com. Dale, I want to thank you once again for your reporting on this story and bringing us the new information and for your time today. So thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me on, Lindsay. I always enjoy it. Amazing. I look forward to chatting again soon. And we'll be back, of course, next Thursday with another edition of the London Free Press podcast. Until then, stay well.